Thanks, Carissa. Good morning. Greetings. Welcome to Roswell Community Church. Uh, it was one year to the Sunday that we had our first virtual church service a la COVID. So officially one year we've been doing this thing a little bit. And uh, I just want to say this. We've survived, right? You, look, we're, we're, people are here. You're here. Like we're, we've made it thus far. What that means is we can make it a little further, right? So anyway, super glad that you're here. Super glad you're coming to be a part of the worship service this morning. Again, my, wife, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, well, how, um, how do you keep trusting God when things fall apart? How do you hold on to the promises of God when the circumstances of your life seem to paint a reality that's contrary to those promises? What do you do when you get no notice of a, of a diagnosis that that's, doesn't look good, like not good at all? What do you do when it doesn't look like after much time of trying that you're going to be able to have children biologically. What do you do when the, the partner that's been building the business with you undercuts you and betrays you and, and you lose the business that you spent years and years building together? What do you do when your wife or your dad or your sister or your son or, or a close friend die unexpectedly? What do you do? What do you do when your house burns down? What do you do when your marriage ends? What do you do when your, your daughter tells you that she wants to be a boy and, and not a girl anymore? What do you do when your community rejects you? What do you do when someone takes something from you that you can never quite get back? What do you do when your boss fires you? Or when the police harass you unfairly and unjustly? What do you do? when you've turned in yet one more application and been turned down one more time? What do you do when all the hopes you had are crashing against the rocks of reality and life? Well, the Bible would answer that and say, you lament. You learn to lament. And says, so, oh, God's super kind. He said, listen, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put a whole book in the Bible just to tell you that lamenting matters. Not just that it matters, but it's permissible. And not just a book, Lamentations, but also like a whole bunch of other chapters strewn throughout the scriptures that say this is some of what it means to be a part of a broken world. We lament. And so to that end, as we've been reading through the scriptures, we're now in Lamentations. We're going to read from Lamentations chapter 3, verse, starting in verse 13. You can follow on the screen or in your Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So that my hope is, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and it bows down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, 
I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as Christians, we have a, a clear sense of the arc of history and where it's heading, right? We've been reading the scriptures, which are pointing to the beginning, the brokenness, some of God's movement and covenant, and then we're anticipating Jesus. But, but we can look all the way ahead to like Revelations 21, right? Where it talks about the reality that there is a day that's coming where there will be no more mourning. There will be no more tears. There will be no more crying anymore. That's the end of the book. So we know where it's heading. We know the direction. And yet we live in this reality, this, this tension, if you will, that life is really hard and Jesus is coming. So Christians, as Christians, we ought to be the kind of people who, who master the language of lament in this in-between place like none other. Think about it. You enter the world with a loud cry, right? Your first experience of the brokenness of the world was a wail. A declaration in a way, maybe not quite as conscious, that there's something wrong with the world. And lament is the language that Christians express in the middle of a broken world that is different than just human emotion, than just tears, just crying. This is how Mark um, Rogop, who, who wrote a book called uh, Dark Cloud, Deep Mercy, great book, he says, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. The reason is that lament by definition is a prayer that people offer to a sovereign God when life doesn't fit with what they know to be true about him or, or when the coming of Jesus or the coming of justice or the coming of God's promises seems to be delayed. And in that moment, Christians talk to God about their sorrow. Now, Mark knew this pretty well. He and his wife had a stillborn daughter just a couple days before delivery, a now nine-pound daughter that, that died unexplicably, and they were left with this grief, this sorrow, this struggling with God, this struggling with the reality of what they just experienced. And they found themselves beginning to try to learn to lament. And what they found in that is that as they started talking about it, it did two things. It put, took certain Christians, got near them, and were like, yeah, actually, I'm going to take a step back. That's a bit much. And others were drawn in. They said, I didn't, I didn't know you could question like that. I didn't know that you had permission to ask God those kinds of questions. Can you say, how long, O oh Lord, have you forgotten me? Loved ones, something's missing in our 21st century American Christianity. I think something's particularly missing in our 21st century white American Christianity. Something's missing in our prayers. It's missing in our worship. Sometimes even in our, missing in our preaching. Now, I'm not suggesting that lament should take over all aspects of worship and song. Or, but it is a third of every psalm is a lament. Over a third, actually. And therefore, there's the implication that this is a language that is to be recovered, that is to be restored. I remember when 9-11 happened, right after 9-11, there was a couple months there where a bunch of articles were coming out. And one of the things that decried is that as a nation, we have no songs of lament. Uh, songs of overcoming? Yeah. Have you, like, heard the Star Spangled Banner? Like, we win, right? That's our mantra. But what about lament? 
What about just grieving corporately together? Like we don't have them. We don't know them well. We still don't. In the book of Lamentations, on the other hand, it's an entire book, an entire memorial of what happens when suffering takes over an entire community of people, Uh, some of which were responsible for what they were experiencing and the suffering, and others were just being swept in to this divine discipline. So this morning, what we're going to look at is two key things. One is, what is lament? And the second is, how do we learn to lament? So, So what is lament and how do we learn to lament? Well, I think the most helpful definition of lament, I'm going to put it on the screen here, is lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. First, it's a prayer. It's not just being mad. It's not just being sad. It's not just, not just hurting. It, it's a prayer. Lamentation is a, a statement to God. It's a cry to the Lord. So, so a lament is a prayer. And it's a prayer, go ahead and keep the the definition up there. It's a prayer in pain. It's a prayer in pain. It's not giving God the silent treatment because you're upset with him. It's not doing what, unfortunately, too many Christians do, fall into one of two ditches, which is either to deny, right? That's the ditch of denial. Never mind, everything's fine. I've got this. It's no big deal in which we limit our pain, or, or the ditch of despair, right? I, I, I can't do this. There is no hope, and we limit God. Instead, to lament is to take our sorrow to God and to talk to him about them. That's what a third of the psalmists do. They talk to God when it seems like, like life doesn't make sense. And so it's a prayer in pain that leads. We have to think of lament not as an end in and of itself. It's, it's, a, it's a language that creates a form of, of, of liturgy. It's something that leads us towards something else. That something else is a pathway to worship. So lament is a prayer in pain that leads us to trust. Lament has a destination. It's going somewhere. It's not a cul-de-sac for our sorrow. It's not, not only, not, it's not where we just like commiserate and, and wallow. It's not, it's not, it's not a wallowing on our beds as the scriptures say. It's designed to lead us to reaffirmate, to a reaffirmation of our trust in God's sovereignty in a way that allows us to sing about his graciousness in a way that re-anchors our hearts to what we know is true, but right now don't seem to feel like is true. So oftentimes we know that God's good, but the circumstances in front of us don't tell us that his promises are so. And so what do we do? We lament. Now, some of you may be thinking, Matt, like there's, there's, there's commands in Scripture, like rejoice always, right? It's true. Consider it all joy when you face trials. That's also true. 
It's unarguable that that is the direction. That's the end. That's the place you're going to. That's the place you want to land. So the question is not if that's true. The, the real question is how do you get there? And for me to just tell you, by the way, in your sorrows, in your laments, in the things that are stirred up in your hearts or the things that you're not sure you want to even bring back onto the surface, to just trust won't work. That is the destination, but there is a way there. The question isn't if it's true. The question is how do you get there? And that's what many of us don't know how to do. We don't know how to resolve that tension between the lament of what we're experiencing, the painful reality of our circumstances, and trusting in God that he's good. Loved ones, listen to me. Hard is not bad. Hard is hard. That's some of what lamenting invites us into. Some of the challenge of the Christian life is, is how to live with both of those realities being equally true at the exact same time. Now, in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, who's the prophet who writes, the weeping prophet, as Steve walked us through the last couple weeks, he sees the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And I mean, it is brutal. You actually hear, heard him, right? In, in, um, in verse 16, he says, my teeth grind on gravel. Like, that's what I call some vivid description of some lament. Like, that's how it feels. My teeth are being dragged on gravel. That's how terrible it is. He sees God's divine discipline, and yet he has the boldness to declare in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's wild. On a scene where most people would say, listen, God's abandoned you. Like he's out. He didn't like you. He's through with you. He's punishing you. He's left you. Jeremiah has the unbelievable faith-filled confidence to say, no, no, no. Oh, the scene says that that might be so, but that is not the case. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's what he says over top of those, those circumstances. Now, that should change the way in which we look at Lamentation 3. Probably about 20 years ago or so, I, I memorized those verses on a, with a group of guys. I just didn't know where they came from. I didn't know what they were in the midst of. It's like, yeah, that's fantastic. Most of the time when you, you think of those verses, you imagine them at the bottom of like a, like a, like a Kincaid painting, you know, like some like beach, real a calm beach or like a, like a mountain cabin, snowy day. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. Yeah, yeah that's not the right picture. The real picture of where those words fit and sit is like, is like a photo of like a bombed out city or like, or like a neighborhood after a tornado's gone through. That's where that sits. That's where that sits in the passage. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Yep, his mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. It changes how we look at the book of Lamentation. It also changes the way that we sing, changes the way that we, we look at God's promises. 
and what we do to anchor our hearts when the bottom falls out. Lament is the language of sorrow. When, when we live in between the poles of a hard life and trusting in a God who is sovereign. That's where it fits. So that's lamentation. So, so how do we do it? Like, how do we actually move to become lamenting people? How do we learn to lament? I, I would say most of us, that just leaves some room from some of y'all, don't know how. We, we don't have the muscles. We haven't been trained well in it. We haven't seen it done much. And most of the time we skip over those passages because they're kind of downers. They're intricate to understanding God and, frankly, into being wholehearted people. You see, I would say that to the degree in which you allow yourself to lament, to that degree will you be able to enter into, be comfortable with, be at ease with other people truly lamenting what is broken in the world. Which means that's one of the tells. <laughs> to the degree in which you're comfortable with people that are lamenting in front of you, people that are really struggling, like not the, not the clean, cute Christian stuff. I'm talking the stuff that's like bleeding it's messy. It's asking hard questions. To the degree you're comfortable with that, to that degree you're probably comfortable with your own lament. Being able to be like that with God also. So, so how comfortable are you with lament? Like how comfortable or uncomfortable, or how willing, even in your discomfort, are you to move into it in yourself or with others? Well, the Lord's inviting you this morning. Wherever you are on that, the Lord's inviting you for sure. Again, Mike, Mark um, Vrogob, he points out that, that laments usually have four key elements. So here's the four key elements we're going to kind of work through as we think about how do we learn to lament? How do we learn to lament? Now, just a reminder, for those of you that are like analytical types, they're like, okay, so one, two, three, four, right? You see them on the screen. Like, like this is poetry, right? Like when you, when you lament, like you lament in poetry, right? That's actually what happens. Some of you may be like, I don't, I, don't read, I don't write poetry. It's like, yeah, you do. When you're hurting, you do. And so it, it, it intermixes. It's not like, okay, so the first bit of a lament is the first and the second. That's not how it works. But they're all interwoven and part of what it means to lament. So how do we lament? The first one, I turn to God in prayer. Second, I lay out my complaint. Third, I ask boldly. And fourth, I choose to trust. We're going to go through each one of these in a way that's hopefully helpful to your soul. So first, I turn to God in prayer. In my prayer, I choose to keep talking to him. In my sorrow and in my pain, I keep choosing to talk to him. It takes faith to turn to God when you're hurting. In a way, to pray a lament is one of the most faith-filled things you will do, especially if you're going to keep praying laments. And here's why. Because if you've ever walked through a season of real difficult sorrow, where you, where you can't quite see the end or you can't quite see the magnitude of its impact, and you've asked the Lord and it seems like he's answered no or wait, the ability to continue to bring that before the Lord rapidly feels unproductive, unhelpful. It's hard to keep praying. 
It's just too painful to pray about it anymore. And so we start giving God the silent treatment on it. See, what lament does is that it allows us to, to acknowledge the really hard things and to still talk to God about them. Let's illustrate this. Psalm, Psalm 77, which is one of the Psalms of lament. Here's how it begins. Just, just listen to, like, the, I'm going to go to God. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. That's what I'm going to choose to do. I'm going to go to him and turn to him. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Here's a man who's like in sorrow. The psalmist is like he's in pain. And he's praying intentionally. And while he's praying, he's saying to God, that to talk about and to God, to even think about him, makes him moan. Like, Lord, to think about you, to talk to you, hurts me. That is lament. That's turning to God in the midst of our pain. Lament calls us to, to keep talking to God in our pain instead of allowing our pain to become a pit. Instead, it becomes this platform for renewed trust, which is where where God is wanting to take us. Of course, one of the ways that the enemy wants to, to use our pain destructively is, in our lives is, is to convince us to just stop talking to God about it. You're not doing anything about it, right? I mean, you've asked him a couple times or maybe a few times. Maybe you've just lamented for a long time. Like, just stop talking to him about it. Now, you know, if you're a good Christian, you know better than to not talk to him about it at all. So we just talk about the certain things. Yes, I'll talk to God about A, B, and C. But like F and G and H that, that have been like going on for a long time that I've asked him about repeatedly and he hasn't changed and hasn't brought about, like I'm just not bringing those up to him anymore. Like we're, we're going to disconnect from that. Can't keep doing it. And then, and then you come to church where everyone seems like everything's great. So we do at church, right? How you doing? Good. And you sing songs that are like from the Lego movie, right? Everything's awesome. Praise, praise, praise. There was this research done about um, CCLI is kind of like the, the licensing for all the songs that Christ churches do on a Sunday morning. It's the permission to be able to use songs. So they did a research because they, you know, everyone turns those in every week. And they said, hey, it's interesting. A third of all psalms, which is the prayer and worship book of the Old Testament, are, are laments. But you look at what's sung on a Sunday morning across America, and less than 5% of the songs would be categorized as a lament. Like we, we don't do lament. Not, not much, at least, that is. Now, I want you to hear me. Like celebratory songs are super important. Like the praise of the Lord is fitting on the lips of those who belong to him. Like we should celebrate the reality of God's good work for us on the cross. The gospel should, should lift our hearts, no doubt about it. But, but if we only sing songs of praise, we're failing, 
to connect to the, probably to our own hearts, but can we, we're failing to connect with a whole segment of people who are here coming in saying like, Lord, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I'm not sure where you are. I'm not sure that this Christianity thing is working right now. So the invitation must be, this is what we labor to do. We try to, to work our services to, to try and engage people that are in, in desolation. Like, Lord, where are you? How long, O oh Lord? And in consolation, Lord, you are good and faithful and you love me. And to weave those together that we would sing a, a, a movement of songs that invite us all towards the reality of God, to move our hearts towards God. So let us praise and let us lament. So, must turn to God in prayer. Secondly, I lay out my complaint. I lay out my complaint. Now, this is central. Central to lament is laying out your complaint, being brutally honest with God about what you're feeling. Now, complaining isn't just central, like a central piece of lament, but it's also like profoundly Christian. Because let's be honest, we believe in God's promises like we see them, we hear them, and we've been reading a bunch of them, especially as we came through the early parts of the, New Te- of the Old Testament. All these promises that God's made. So we believe his promises, we hear his promises, and yet they don't always seem to fit with what we know about life and what we're experiencing in any given moment. So there's this tension. I know you're good, but life is really hard. I know you promised to be with me, but I don't experience you being with me. And so lament is asking Why? Like, Lord, why? How is this possible? How is this possible if this is what your promises are? I didn't actually know this until I was studying Lamentation, but Lamentation chapter 1 starts with the word how. Lamentation chapter 2 starts with the word how. Lamentation Lamentation chapter 3 starts with the word how. In Hebrew, it actually wasn't even called Lamentation. They called it, how? How did this happen? That's what Jeremiah said. How did this happen? Two and a half chapters of like, this is tragic. This is destruction. This is hopeless. Now, the idea of being a complainer is, well, let's just be honest, it's not a super positive one. Now, you can complain sinfully, no doubt about it. The Bible calls that grumbling. I think Steve talked about that a few weeks ago. But there is, and this is pivotal, like there is ample language in the scriptures for, for the people of God to bring their complaints to God in a way that is both humble and honest. This is how I'm feeling, Lord. And also just, just a quick reality check. Like God knows how you're feeling. You're not actually informing him of new information. It's not like, listen, if I just keep this inside, well, then when I talk to God, he doesn't really realize what's going on. Like, that's nonsense. He knows exactly where you are. He's just waiting for you to wake up to that reality and come to him and say, hey, listen, this is bad. I have a complaint. I know your promises. Like, what gives? I don't understand this. How long? The Lord knows. And so we get to begin to be honest with him. And, of course, Psalm 13 is just a great psalm of lament. 
It begins this way. This is, how you, this is what complaining to the Lord looks like, beginning to complain. It says, oh, Lord, how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow on my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So laments take sorrow and our complaints, our frustrations and our disappointments, and they articulate them to our Father. But language to all of those, to him. And they're real. They're honest and they're humble. How long, O oh Lord? Psalm 77, it, it, it starts, it's chapter, starting in verse 7. There's like six rhetorical questions to God. Listen to this. This is permission. Listen to this. Will the Lord spurn forever and, and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Wait a minute. Isn't the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? Isn't that what the verses are? Has his steadfast love actually ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Listen, has God forgotten to be gracious? Like, just imagine you're, you're going to join your community group this afternoon, and you're like, hey, listen, Tim, would you open us in a time of prayer? And Tim's like, I'd be glad to. God, have you forgotten to be gracious? And you'd be like, whoa, Tim, what's going on, bro? Like, that's, what do you, I think you've gone a little off the rails. Let's, hey, come on now. Well, well Tim's just quoting the Bible. He's just praying a lament. How long, O oh Lord? Now, here's the question. Like in Psalm 77 and in other, other, on the other lament psalms, does the psalmist actually believe that God's done these things? Does he believe that God has indeed shut off his compassion, that he's, he's forgotten to be gracious? Well, if you read the rest of Psalm 77, you have to come to the conclusion that no, he hasn't. He really hasn't. He doesn't think that. But if we're honest, we know that this with our life, right? There's promises that God makes that are true, and yet they don't feel true in the moment. And so the question is, what do we do when that happens? And the answer is you talk to God about it. God can handle your humble complaints. Complaints are how we talk to God in these moments so that we can be hopeful and honest at the same time. And did you hear what I said? Like, God can handle your complaints. Like, you don't have to do PR for God. Like, maybe you grew up in a household where you just couldn't bring the things that were really broken. You just have to keep them all inside because no one can handle them. Like, God's not like that. He's got you. You can pound on his chest. You can cry out. Be like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm angry and sad and, fr and freaked out. And like, where are you? Like, he can handle that. So we, we declare our complaints. So first, we, we turn to God in prayer. Second, we lay out our complaints. And third, we ask boldly. We ask boldly. Ments invite us to keep asking God for help, even while we're still in pain. God, God, like, it's still going on. Help. Ments one of the most theologically informed things that we can do. You have pain and difficulty, and you say, wow, this is really, really hard, and I know that I can trust you, and so I'm going to, to call you to act. Lord, I'm going to ask you to move on my behalf. Lamentation says, this is really bad, and I'm going to dare to hope. 
that, that verse, Lamentations 3 in the New Living Translation goes this way. It says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve my loss. Do, do you hear it? Do you hear the complaint? I will never forget how bad this is. It's that bad. Yet I, and catch this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never cease. This is beautiful. I still dare to hope when I remember this. I'm going to dare to hope. That, that's, that's what it looks like to, to ask the Lord in the midst of our, in the midst of our laments. This is what Christian grieving people do. They ask boldly. We walk through the midst of our sorrows and we still say, I, I believe. And so asking is how we call the promises of God to account. Without, without demanding God do our bidding, that's not what we're doing, we ask him to do what he has promised to do in his word. We say, Lord, you said this. I'm experiencing this. And so, Lord, will you work and act on my behalf? I'm not demanding it. It's not like, and if you don't, but Lord, you said this. You said that you see the afflictions of those who are wounded. So like, I'm afflicted. I got people rejecting me. I got issues with my family. Like, Lord, do you see me? You say that you see me. Lord, Lord, move on my behalf. Reconcile this relationship. Lord, you say that you're going to provide for those that are in need. Like, would you provide for the needs that I have right now? I don't see how it's going to be fixed. You ask boldly based on his promises. We do so by releasing control of the timing. And yet you're asking boldly. I'm asking you to move, Lord. I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to answer. I'm asking you again to be true to your word. And when we, when we ask, not only, not only are we asking God to act, but, but we are reminding ourselves that this is actually true about him and what we long for. It starts working at our own heart. So it's helping us to believe again, again, in the asking, not by going like, I have to believe this, then I'll ask. No, in the asking, I become someone who believes more. I'm reminded of what I'm supposed to hold fast to. That's why Walter Brueggemann, who's a theologian, Old Testament theologian, he says, the laments are refusals to settle for the way things are. They are acts of relentless hope that believes no situation falls outside of God's capacity for transformation. No situation falls outside of God's responsibility. This is on him, and so I'm going to go to him. It's got to the only way it can change is if he changes it. So where am I going? I'm going to him. I ask boldly. So first we ask, we turn to God in prayer. Second, we lay out our complaints. Then I ask boldly, and lastly, I choose to trust this is where all laments are designed to lead. If you're not ending in trust, then, then you didn't lament. You, you were just sad. Every lament, every true lament ha has a pivot. has words like, um, like and or but or even so. There's this, there's this turning point. And so you look at Psalm 13 that we looked at the beginning. This is after the cry, right? How long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? And then you get to verse 5, and this is what the psalmist says. But, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. They're both true. Do you hear them? How long? And yet I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to rely and believe you. So what does is, what is true Christianity in the midst of the brokenness of the world look like? It means that when we walk through the sorrows of life, we're turning to God. We're laying our concerns, all of our complaints in front of him. We're asking him for the help that only he can bring. And then we're choosing by his grace to trust him again and again and again and again and again. And honestly, this is, where, this is where Christianity is at its best. We should be the best lamenters. Not only by asking God to act, but remembering that his promises are true, we have this remarkable ability then to move into the world with hope. Like, as Christians, we actually know the problem and we know, we know the one who has the solution, not, not the fixes, but, but has the solution. We know the arc of the story. And so we should be the people who lament best, sorrow best, hold, hold the grief of the moment, the sorrow and difficulty of the moment in the midst of the reality of a hope to come. We're equipped with it. I do believe this because I'm asking it. When we lament, it tunes our hearts to the brokenness of the world. It tunes our heart to the brokenness in ourselves. It tunes our heart to the brokenness in other people. And it makes us the kind of people that live counter to a culture that's going to say either you are your brokenness, you are your sorrow, or a culture that says you don't have any, and if you do, you're a failure. You see, our faith actually speaks to both of those and says, no, there's another way. You are not your brokenness. That is not the end of the story. You are not what sorrows you. That is not the end of the story. That is true, though, and, they got, and God affirms that. Jesus enters that, but it's not the end of the story. And by the way, the end of the story is not because of what you've done, so it's not on you. It's on him. That's how the gospel meets us in it. So I know some of you are familiar with, like, you know, praying, like, you know, the Acts, prayer, adoration, uh, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those are, that's a great prayer rubric, you know, to be able to think about prayer. It doesn't work super well, though, when you're in the midst of a season of real sorrow. And I know a bunch of you, even those of you in this room that are in that uncertainty, like lamenting some of the very things, like I didn't write those things in a vacuum at the top. Those are real for some of you. Right now. What God has for you is he, he's inviting you to lament, maybe for the very first time, to, to move towards him with the reality of what is broken around you or in you. And as you do it, this is what's amazing, as you do it, you find yourself meeting the one who lamented when he was living the sorrows and brokenness of the world. Like you know that, right? Like the chief lamenter is Jesus. Like he walked this world, seeing how it really was, knowing the thoughts of men. Oh my, I don't want to know what you're thinking. So lament, like he laments over Jerusalem, he laments in Gethsemane, and above all, he laments on the cross. And what does he do? 
He cries out, Psalm 22, the psalm of lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like Jesus is the chief lamenter. And that, that's your permission, right? That's your invitation. If the son of God, the perfect son of God could go to God and say, listen, this is not how it should be. Be faithful to your promises. If, let this cup pass from me, but not as my will. I'm going to trust your will. After crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? And says that he, he gave, gave up his spirit. That, that's the last statement. It's declaration of trust. It's bad. But I trust you. And what Jesus did on the cross is, is not only to invite you to lament by saying, you can, you have permission, but to also introduce you to the one whom you're lamenting to that lets you know, all shall be well with your soul. Like, you have hope. You may be sitting here in the midst of some circumstances that make you feel like, I don't have hope. I'm worn out, discouraged, there is no hope. But like, let me, loved ones, like, you have hope. Like, we have a Savior who came to say, you have hope. Representing a God who said, I am your hope. That that Revelation 21 is a reality. That there will be a day when all tears shall be no more. All mourning shall be no more. When there will be no more pain. No more songs of lament. No more prayers of lament. Just the other two-thirds of the Psalter. And all of that is invited to you because of what he did on the cross for you. Which is what the, the table reminds us of, right? We, we take these elements as a reminder to our soul. We're like, we take the cup, we take the bread, and it's saying we work them into the fabric of our souls like, like you need to work the laments of the reality of your life into your soul to God. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we are not, not naturally disposed to lament. We want to control, we want to know. And to declare to you that we don't know and we can't control is, is scary and uncertain. And so we come to you asking you to teach us to lament, teach us to be a people that, that not only are able to enter our own brokenness and sorrow, but because we are good at lamenting, not skilled, but open-hearted, that we would actually be able to move into a broken world with real hope. That we'd be able to, to call the broken, to complain about the things that aren't, and then to ask you boldly and then to trust that you have your good purposes at play. We thank you that the cross tells us that that's been the case all along. We can look back to it and we look with anticipation that because of what you did for us, like that hope is secure. That all the promises are yes in Jesus. And that was never more loudly declared than on the cross and with the tombstone rolled back. And so that's what we hang on to this morning. Above all things, we hang on to that, and we ask you that you would work it into our souls to the praise and glory of your name. Glorify yourselves as we lament, we pray in Christ. Amen. On your own time, take the cup, take the bread, and remember that Jesus died for you. That, that God's lament was so significant for the brokenness and sinfulness of the world, the hopelessness which looked like had no hope, that he came and enter that suffering for you. And that's what we remember. So come receive the body of Christ broken and his blood shed for you.